Good morning. This is attorney Vincent Davis, and you're on with Get Your Kids Back Now, How to Fight CPS and and DCFS Social Workers in the Juvenile Court Systems. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or at least to show them where they can get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes to keeping our families together. This morning's show, we're going to be talking about uh, the six-month review hearing. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk about it last Saturday. We had so many calls, and I wasn't able to talk about it. But I wanted to talk about the six-month review hearing. Uh, That is the hearing uh, that is known as the 366.21E hearing. It's also known as, well, there is another six-month review hearing called the 366.21F hearing. And there can be another hearing at the six-month review date called the 366.22 hearing. And the, these code sections that I'm referring to are code sections in the California Welfare and Institutions Code. You can find these sections on Google. You can look them up. You can read them. Uh, before we get into, before we start talking about the six-month review hearing, I'm going to take a call. The uh, area code is nine one six, and it ends in six six. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, not good. They took my kids from me. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. It's a, um, it's a it's a nice, clear Saturday morning where I am in Southern California. Where are you located? Uh, in Victorville, California. Okay. Why don't you uh, tell us what happened? Um. So basically, a few years ago, my husband's mother uh, tried to take guardianship of his daughter, which is my stepdaughter. And we went to court, and we won guardianship, and we hadn't been in contact, and we were about to move out of state, and I thought it would be a good idea to reunite, have the kids say goodbye to their grandparents. Um, We talked to her. We let her see the kids, take them to a little carnival. Uh, By then, she said the kids had fell asleep, asked if they could stay the night. We said that was okay, but I needed them back in the morning because we were packing up to move. Uh, the next day, I can't get a hold of her. She won't return my call. She won't return my texts. And then we get a call from the Victorville Police Department stating that uh, the grandmother was there with allegations of child abuse and neglect. So oh my we goodness. go into the yes. So we go into the station, and they start accusing my husband. The the cop said to us, "I beat the shit out of my kids. It's totally okay if you do." And me and my husband are like, we've never touched our children. Their discipline is, you know, extra chores, timeouts. And they kept accusing us, saying that they were being abused. Uh, They wouldn't give the kids back when we told them that we were going to go see a lawyer. They didn't call us until around 4 o'clock. So by the time we 
we told them we were going to see a lawyer. We left. Five minutes after we leave the police station, they call us and say, if you want your kids, come back right now. So my husband tells them, I need to know what's going on because I only have so much time before the lawyer's office closes. So they were like, come back right now if you want your kids. So we come back. After like five, ten minutes, they release uh, the two youngest, our boys, but not my daughter. And uh, the boys were devastated, crying, saying they were forced to be put into the police car. There was no seatbelts. So I guess what happened was my mother-in-law took my daughter to the police station and left my two little boys, which are five and seven, at her house alone, and she had the cop drive back to go pick them up and force them in the car. And so when we went back to the station... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, where are your kids now? Uh, they took them. So what happened is Friday, so we, uh, I guess that was the story. So we went into the police station. We're arguing with them because they keep trying to accuse us, trying to get us to admit to allegations. They tell us that a CPS worker is there. Uh, they bring in the worker. They kept trying to separate us, telling us, you know, that we could tell them what really happened and, you know, all these things. And, of course, we're like, nothing happened. Like, our kids skate. Our kids are in sports. Our kids are in karate. Like, you know, we've been moving. Nothing's happened. And, like I said, his mother's done this before. So uh, they, what happened is they released our two little boys to us but kept uh, my daughter and then, what was it, uh, Monday, that was Friday. Monday, I get a call saying that they had issued a warning or a warrant to pick up the boys. Mm-hmm. So we, so uh, by then we saw a lawyer. I believe her name was uh, Nicole Anderson. And uh, we went to go talk to her. And pretty much it was hard because she just wanted the fees, the money up front. And she took, like, a portion of our money and said that, you know what I mean, she, you know what I mean, they would work with us, the retainer, everything. She showed up to one court date to the hearing, wouldn't take any evidence or anything that we had because my daughter has been seeing a psychologist, and even though she's in sixth grade, she's going into seventh, her mentality is still at second grade. So they wouldn't take into consideration anything that we had. And um, the lawyer showed up basically to the hearing, which was two weeks ago, to the preliminary and she said that just for her to show up then was worth $1,500. So she wanted more money to show up to the next case. So we didn't have it. So then she said, well, I'm going to have to drop you guys and cancel the retainer. So now I've been, I haven't got to see my children. They told me that I would get a letter in the mail stating, you know, when I could see them and, you know, the new caseworker. It's been almost three weeks and I can't get a hold of anyone, uh, no one has contacted me. I haven't got no letters. The lawyer obviously dropped us, so that's where I am right now. I haven't had my children. I haven't seen them. Uh, they placed them with my mother, and it's been really hard. My father died about a month ago, and I have a heart issue, and it's just been very hard. Do you have a pen and a piece of paper? Because I'm going to give you some advice that yes. you can write this down. Okay. Yes. Okay, so your um, attorney, Miss Anderson, I don't know her, um, okay. but I can tell you. But I can tell you that if she appeared for you already in one court hearing, unless the judge gave her permission to get off the case, 
or unless you signed it what's called a substitution of attorney, she's still your attorney, whether you pay her or not. So I would uh, well, she, communicate I'm with sorry. Ms. I, she told I, my husband I, when we went in there. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. She told my husband when we went in there that he would get a public defender. And then she told the public defender that he didn't want her. He wanted to represent himself. So he came out and told my husband, is this true? You want to defend yourself? And my husband said, no, I don't want to defend myself. I just can't afford her fees. I already gave her 1500 down, and she wants 4000 just to show up to the next hearing. Okay, so when your husband went into the courtroom, who was defending him, Ms. Anderson or the public defender? The For his preliminary, it was Ms. Anderson. Okay, well, I can tell you that unless Ms. Anderson filed a substitution, which her husband would have signed, or the judge has given her permission to get off the case, she's still your husband's attorney. Okay. No matter what, No matter what she says. Now... Okay. What she's going to do for you, I don't know. I don't know her at all. Um, but I would suggest that you, that your husband, since it's your husband's lawyer, contact her via email and, and, and remind her that she's still his attorney and she's going to have to help him on this case. The second thing that I want you to do is I want you to get the name and the telephone number and the email address of this social worker who's on your case. That person may have changed since the beginning of the case, so you may have to call the social worker's office to find out who's assigned to your case. And you want okay. to email them. You want to email them that you want to set up visits. All okay. right. And the, and the next thing you want to do is you want to email them, and excuse me, and request what's called the case plan. Now the case plan may include things for you to do like parenting or anger management or something like that, I suggest you get into those classes and those counseling services, even if you are innocent. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, well, I was going to tell you. I'm so sorry. Maybe I should explain this. My daughter, he has a case with my daughter for supposedly the neglect and child abuse. Well, then, for my two sons, they filed under emotional neglect for me. That's why they wouldn't return the, my two boys to me. And um, they, the, my public defender recommended that. So about two weeks ago, this week will be three classes. She told me to start them. So I've already started parenting classes, both of us. Perfect. Now, um, do you want your husband to get back his daughter? Um, honestly, we're at the point where it's more of a hazard. I have, uh, basically I got letters from people who even like the bus driver where she has, she saw where my daughter basically, she hurts her brothers. I don't know if it's jealousy or whatever it is, but the bus driver has caught her slamming his head into the window, holding her, his, her hand over his mouth, scolding him, trying to keep him from telling and, Things like that. So, no, my husband is at the point where he's like, if she wants to be with, you know, my mother, that's fine. I just want the boys because the boys are the ones that are constantly crying, you know, begging to come home. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And the, and the other thing that you, you must do, that you must you and your husband must meet with your attorneys before the next court hearing. Um, one of the things that's going to happen before the next court hearing is that the social worker or the new social worker on the case is going to be contacting you uh, and your husband to sit down with you to interview you regarding the allegations. Um, I always advise my clients, and it's different for every attorney, so don't let me tell you, or I don't want you to think that this is a must in every case. This is just what I tell my clients. Um, I ask I ask my clients to invite me to the meeting with the social worker to make sure that you know things are recorded properly, are written down properly, that there's no exaggerations about what was said. I sometimes ask social workers, can we record the interview? Uh, they rarely agree to that. Um, you know, funny so you want to make sure because when I had to turn in my boys, they made me surrender them on Monday when they had the warrant. I had to drop them off, and then they took us in to interview us. Well, she admitted saying that her daughter had the same problem. Her mentality was slower, and that her daughter would accuse her of putting nails through her hand or hitting her with hammers, and that she had to put her daughter in a Arrowhead Regional home because of the accusations. And we told her that we were in the middle of moving. We had given our 30-day notice because we were about to move out of state. Well, in her her oath, she wrote that we were evicted. And I was like, we were not evicted. The landlord even wrote a letter saying that we've never paid rent late. We gave our 30 days, you know, everything like that. But my attorney, the public defender, told me, I'll see you your next court date. So, like you're telling me, I should get in contact with before, but she was like, I'll just see you on your next court date. Oh, you, you, you need to, uh, in my opinion, you need to talk to your attorney, you know, uh, frequently so that you can develop a strategy for your defense. Um, it sounds like that from what you've told me, and of course I haven't seen the paperwork or the evidence, but it sounds like that you may have a good case to defend against because the primary witness against you is the, the daughter, and she may not qualify to testify as a witness. Um, in order to testify at trial, um, the witness has to be competent and has to understand certain things like the consequences of telling the truth or telling the lie, telling a lie in court. And your daughter, mm-hmm. or excuse me, your stepdaughter may not qualify. So it might behoove you to have a trial in this matter. But that's something that you need to talk to your attorney about. Of course, every case is different. And I'm not sure what evidence uh, they're going to try to gather against you. But keep that in mind, and that's one thing that you should ask your public defender about, whether if we went to trial, whether this witness uh, against you would uh, qualify. If you don't get any um, response or the answers that you're seeking, um, please give me a call at the office. We offer a free consultation, and maybe I can help you out uh, in giving you some advice on the case when these reports, these new reports start coming out from the social worker. All right? Okay. Um, uh, I have one more question. For my two little ones, since it was only emotional neglect they filed against me, supposedly, how soon would I be able to get them back? Well, it depends on whether you're going to have a trial or not a trial. Um, So at the next hearing, the way they – you're in San Bernardino Juvenile Court, right? Yes, the worst one. Okay. 
Okay. So what happens, the way they do it in San Bernardino is your next hearing, your second hearing, is going to be called something what's called a juris hearing, a jurisdictional hearing. In reality, it's the day when the social worker publishes her report, her new report to the judge. Now, at that hearing, you have the right to disagree with her recommendations or agree with her recommendations. Of course, if she recommends the kids, the two boys coming home with you, you'd agree with that. But if she doesn't recommend that, what you can do is you have the right to set the case for a trial, and they do the trial like a week or two later. At that trial, you can present all of your evidence as to why the allegations of emotional abuse are false because you haven't told me anything about emotional abuse yet. Perhaps you haven't told me all of the facts, but I don't see emotional abuse in what you've told me. They're just trying to piggyback your two boys on what may or may not have happened to the older girl. So mm-hmm. even if even if the allegations are true when you have a trial, the way they do it in San Bernardino is they have two trials together. One's called the adjudication jurisdictional trial and one's called the dispositional trial. Even if they are able to prove that there was some emotional neglect on your part, you still have the right to get the children back unless the social worker can prove by clear and convincing evidence which is very important, by clear and convincing evidence that you are a substantial danger to the child or to the children and there's no less restrictive alternatives. Well, I hate to say this, but very few people and very few attorneys think about this three-part test that I just told you. Mm -hmm. There are many, many less restrictive alternatives For example, let me give you one. The children could be returned to you because you're in classes and counseling and you've, quote, unquote, learned your lesson. Or number two, and this happened in a case recently that I was doing in Orange County, um, the the children can be returned if the mother lives with the grandmother or if the grandmother lived with the mother. Okay. Another less restrictive another less restrictive alternative that you can ask for right now is you can ask for in-home services. In San Bernardino, I get the impression that they don't like to give in-home services. And the impression I get, no one's ever told me this, but the impression I get is it's because it's expensive. You know, in L.A. County, they have a, a kind of a big budget for this. They have something called wraparound services. That's where they Mm -hmm. give you your children back. They give you their children back, but they send these outside parenting and counseling instructors to your home three, four, five times a week. So they get to see you in home all the time, uh, every day. Many, many years ago, I was a speaker for juvenile dependency up in Monterey, there's a there's an annual conference of juvenile lawyers up in Monterey. It's held in January. And I remember first meeting people from small counties in Northern California. And I remember talking to them because in, in L.A., L.A. is so big. And if you had a, you know, if you were accused of using drugs, um, they would take the child away from you. Well, in these counties, um, they didn't do that back then. Uh, they they uh, the social worker counties were so small that the social workers could see the children every day at school, so they would know you know if the child was being well cared for. Today it seems like there's a uh, 
what they call strict liability, that if you use drugs, then you lose your children. And that's actually not the law. There has to be a connection between your drug use and, um, you know, abusing or not taking care of your child. Uh, In reality, there are many people in our society that are um, functional addicts or functional alcoholics. Anyway, so I'm getting off the point. What I want you to concentrate on are these three things. Does the social worker have clear and convincing evidence that you're a substantial danger? Probably not. Number two, number two, are there less restrictive alternatives? There are many, many less restrictive alternatives that you don't even know about that nobody will tell you about. Some of them I have mentioned to you already. So talk about that with your court-appointed attorney, and you should have that discussion before you go to court on the next date. If you go to court on the next date, if you go to court on the next date and you don't agree, you have the right to set the case for trial. I hear a lot of people tell me, and, and, and this is from all counties around California. Oh, I went to that second hearing. The um, attorney told me uh, to plead no contest and to come back in six months and get my kids. It would be really easy. That may or may not be true, but that's not your only alternative. You can fight for your kids right away. Yeah. You can have a trial that's with, what I, yeah. within, a couple of, within a couple of weeks. So. Make sure that you talk to your attorney. Make sure that you strategize. Make sure that you go over the evidence, the report that's going to be prepared by the social worker. It's called the Jurisdictional Dispositional Report. And um, if you have any questions or if you want a second opinion, you know, it's like going to the doctor, give me a call. You can email me the report. I'll I'll review it. I'll talk to you. And, uh, you know, I can help you that way. I'm definitely interested in that. All right. Well, I want to thank you for calling this morning. Um, i got to move on to the next call, all right? Of course. What's uh, your number for me to contact you for the consultation? Oh, 888-888-6582. That's 888-6582. All in our office, my, I, have a, I have a crew of receptionists that work um, seven days a week. So during Monday oh, wow. through Friday, you can call you can call 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. You can call on Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And you can call on Sundays uh, from 12 to 5. And when my, you know, hardworking receptionists aren't working, uh, we have a 24-hour answering service. So give us a call anytime. Thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. You have a wonderful day. God bless. I will be in touch with your office. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, I'm going to take another call right now from area code 530, ending in 18. Hello? Good Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Good morning, Vincent. My question is, when grandparents go to a state hearing, And the agency representative has eight months, shows up unprepared, has nothing but misdemeanors and a 14-year-old criminal record. Um, Judge cites in grandparents' favor. That's my question. 
Okay, well, hold on a second because you you might have left a little bit out of there. I probably um, did. Are you in Cal? Are you in California? Yes. Okay, so I can answer your question then because I'm only licensed to practice law in California. Um, you're a grandparent, I take it. Yes. Okay. And I had a state hearing. They ruled in my favor. Let me let me get this straight. Initially, the social worker wouldn't place the child with you, so you appealed it through the state administrative process, correct? Yes. Okay. So that's a little time-consuming. Um, I hope at the same time you were working through and appealing it through the juvenile court system. Were you doing that? I was not. I was not aware okay. that this was part of the process, and I was not told okay. that it was part of the process. Okay. All is not lost. So if you have a pen and a piece of paper, I will tell you what you should do. Okay. Number one, um, well, let me, before I tell you this, what, what, what stage of the proceedings in the juvenile court, do you know what, what they are? Excuse me? Do you know what stage of the proceedings you're in, your children, grandchildren are in in the juvenile court? I'm waiting on a on a a date for a hearing. I've already filled out the paperwork, turned it in for the appeal to to go in front of a uh, a, a representative of the agency that's not licensed. It's, excuse me, not licensed, but is not uh, not a a a legal or has a any kind of a degree in law? It's not a judge. Okay, it sounds like it sounds like you're still in the administrative process. Correct. What you need to do, yeah. What you need to do is you need to jump over to the juvenile court. What juvenile court has uh, jurisdiction right now over your uh, children, grandchildren? It would be Tuolumne County. Where is that? Where is that located? That would be in Sonora, California. Okay. So get a pen. I'm going to tell you what you should do. Okay. Number one, you immediately have to file what's called a de facto motion. And I, and I want you to look up a case. If you don't have an attorney, well, the first thing you need to do is you need to try to get an attorney. But if you don't get an attorney, uh, you need to file what's called a de facto motion, and it needs to be include some what's called points and authorities, and you need to mention a case called N. Ray Charles S. And you can get a copy of that. Charles, C-H-A-R-L-E-S, and the last initial, S. S. Charles? S, as in Sam. S, as in Sam. Okay, what that case says is that if you're a blood relative, 
and you have an interest in the child or children, the juvenile court judge should give you some type of standing and listen to the evidence that you want to present. Okay, let's go back to number one. Filing this ipso facto motion, I would file that through the juvenile court system, correct? Yes, it's called a de facto, D-E, second word, F-A. We have a bad connection. D-E-F-A-C-T-O, a de facto motion, correct? Yes. Okay. Look, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you a list of things, and I want you to call me later, um, uh, if not today, on Monday, on Sunday or, or Monday, and uh, we may be able to get a better connection, and I can give you fuller explanation of what you need to do. But I'm just going to tell you briefly what you need to do, okay? Yes. Okay. So you need to file a de facto motion. You need to file a 388 petition. You need to file an an 827 petition. And all of these numbers that I mentioned, all of these numbers that I mentioned, all of these numbers that I'm mentioning to you are part of the California Welfare and Institutions Code. So we have uh, the 388. The next thing you have to file is an 827 petition. That'll give you access to the records and files of the social worker and of the juvenile court. And then the last two things that you file, and many, many people don't agree with me, but uh, I file these anyway. I file petitions for you to become the temporary and the permanent legal guardian. That leads to another question. Sure. When the when the grandparents have done that and it's thrown out by another agency, is that legal? Uh, it could be legal. It but, could be? Um, yes, but, you know, I don't think you filed it with the court. You, you may be filing this. Oh, yes, I did. With the court of law, Wairika, California. Did you file it with the juvenile court? Had it signed by a judge. Did you file it with the Did you file it with the juvenile dependency judge? With the juvenile dependency judge? Yes. Okay. Then this is getting a little bit more complicated. What I want you to do is when you make that appointment to speak to me, I want you to email me all the paperwork so I can review it and talk more intelligently about this with you. Is that fair? Yes, that's right. right. Okay, so go ahead and email. Thank you for calling, and I appreciate it. Okay, that grandparent, um, his story was getting a little bit more complicated than I can uh, handle it in this radio show. So I I welcome all the listeners. If you want to have a more in-depth, free initial consultation with me, um, you should probably email me paperwork. I'll review it uh, before our meeting. And that meeting can be in person. It could be over the phone. It could be uh, via Skype. 
and uh, I can talk more intelligently about your case. Also, if you are a parent, it might be it might be very helpful uh, if you could uh, get a copy of the last three minute orders um, uh, before our consultation because the procedural posture of where the case is makes a lot of difference in the type of advice I can give you. Juvenile dependency law is not constant. In other words, it's very dynamic. At each hearing, there are different rules, different standards, different things the judge uh, has to look at by law. So um, if you're trying to get a child back or a relative you know, child in your custody, you want to make sure that you know what procedural posture you, that the case is in. And the only way the attorney giving you the advice would know that is if you go and get copies of the uh, juvenile minute orders. Okay, I'm going to take another call uh, from area code 310, ending in 22. Good morning. Hello. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Hello. Hi, how are you? Hello. I'm Hello. doing fine. How, how are, are you? you this morning? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Good. Did you call in to tell us a story or ask us a question? I'll um, tell you a story. Okay, go ahead. Um, my name is Sarisha Roby. Um, I'm a mother of five. Um, I have a, I've been having an open BCFS case since September of 2012. Um, I did all of my mandated um, court things that they had me to do, like parenting or whatever, and my case was scheduled to close last year in July, but um, it didn't close because I had a personal, uh, I mean, I had a personal, um, how do I say, I had a, a me and my baby father, he had got out of jail, and um, he was still, like, he still was able to see my kids or whatever, and I let him see my baby, and um, he wound up taking my baby, and um, I told the social worker that he took my baby, and um, after that, the next minute, I know, like, three or four days later, the social worker had took all my children, and my kids were scheduled to close, and asked the social worker, like, why is she doing that, and she was just like, no, you let the baby, you let your daughter stay with the baby's father, and I was like, no, I didn't, and she was like, yes, you did. So um, as time went on, um, I'm going to court for my kids. And um, August 5th of 2014, I go to court, and when I went into the courtroom, um, they told me that they were adopting my children out. They didn't want to adopt my children out. And I was like, no, like, how could you guys do this? And then they said, well, your, well, your, well your, um, your social worker recommended that your kids don't come back home to you. And I'm like, no, that's not fair. And um, so I went and I talked to my baby's father, the one that the social worker left my baby with, and um, I had called, uh, I had called him. So then I met up with him, and he called the social worker, and he asked her like, "Why does she put warrants out for me and my baby father?" And um, she said, she said, uh, I mean, he said, I mean, she told him like, "Oh, because I don't know where you were at, I don't know where you were at or whatever." That's why I put warrants out for you guys, for you guys arrested. So I could take it off as long as I see the baby. So. Um, now, the warrants in court are already issued, and they have this for the baby being at large, but I didn't leave the baby with the social – I didn't leave the baby with my baby's father. The social worker did. And I'm like – and she didn't put that in the court papers because she didn't know where he was at. So I knew that something was wrong. I knew like she was kind of like favoring him. So as time went on, um, we had a, they had a TDM. It was August 26th, and me, my baby father – I mean, me, my sister, and the social worker in the TDM, the facilitator was sitting in the room – and I was telling them, like, things about what she was doing, and she denied everything. So I immediately knew, like, something was going on. 
but to back that up, uh, my baby father, he's <laughs> my, my baby father. He's on probation, and and he has a probation officer or whatever. He, he has a probation officer, and I guess the probation, like um, he told me he she had called him and she had met up with him at the probation office on August 11th, and and I had and I also had told her when she left my baby with my baby father that he was on drugs, so she already knew that. So I told you the warrants were issued August 5th. So so now the social worker is now meeting with my baby father. She's not meeting up my baby father at um at his probation at his probation office or whatever to detain the baby. So she says, but she's not knowing that he told me this that he's meeting up with her for him, her to detain the baby on August 11th. Now this is after the warrants were issued, mind you. The warrants were issued August 5th. Okay, time go on. She doesn't she doesn't actually detain my baby until August 18th of 2014, and that's what she put in her paperwork at the office. But I guess the probation officer that my baby father was going to, he had it on record as August 11th. So she typically left my baby with my baby father seven more days after, I mean, seven more days from when she initially said she took the baby. So time kept going on. So I went to court September 26th. I go to court September 26th, and my lawyer says that, okay, we're going to adopt your children. I'm like, no, you're not. Like, what do you mean you're going to adopt my children? Are you going to lose custody of your two youngest kids since your two youngest kids are under the age of four years old? And I'm like, no, that's not fair. Like, what do you mean they're going to take my kids? Like, I don't understand that. So they said trial for December 1st of 2014. So in between the time, uh, my baby's father, it was an email that me and him used to share with each other. Um, August 22nd, I seen this new email, and I clicked on there, and my social worker, her name, her name was Anitra Shields, and it was her Gmail. It was it said Anitra Shields at Gmail dot com, and I knew that it was her. And she told my baby father that she loved him and she didn't want to break up with him. So that's when I knew I immediately knew that she had a personal relationship with him. So I didn't know what to do with that. So as time kept going on. Um, like being like November 20th, like time, I, I, I kept out and saying anything, I don't know what to do. And then November 20th of 2014, like at like 2.55 p.m., my cousin called me and she said, so I think I see your baby father and your social worker. I'm like, no, you don't. She's like, yes, I do. So I rushed to the hotel room on 104th and Broadway where they were at. And I stayed there and my, and my mother was with me. And I seen the social worker's car, but I still wasn't sure if it was her car. So I sat there, and I was looking, whatever, and my baby father knew he had to be to work at 5.30. So we, me and my mother waited there till 4.55, and the social worker and my baby father came walking out the hotel room. And I was looking like, wait, wait, oh, wait, wait. my hold God. Hold on. Hold, hold on a second. Okay. You're saying that the father of your child and the social worker are, ha- are romantically involved? Yes, sir. Okay, continue the story. Okay, so they they so they both came out the hotel room. They both came out the hotel room, and um, okay, they both came out the hotel room, and I asked my baby father like, "What is this?" And he said, "What are you talking about?" And I asked the social worker like, "What's this?" And she's like, "Oh, he told me you guys weren't together." And I said, "What do you mean? He told you we weren't together?" I'm like, "I'm not worried about him. I'm like, you're a social worker. You took my children, and they're talking about adopting my children out. And if I had not caught you at this hotel room, I would not probably possibly have custody of my kids." And then she just told him like, "Come on, baby, let's get in the car." And they both got in the car and they drove off. So this is November twentieth. Then, then um, December first, when I actually had trials, was trial was set up. It's this team. It's called the wraparound team, and that's what I had. I had the wraparound team. You know, I had the wraparound team. And I guess on September twenty sixth, the the uh, the um, 
I had my uh, my lawyer to subpoena the restaurant team to come into court for me on December 1st to represent me to say that they had been coming out to my house every single week and my children were in the house. So that was a lie that my baby father had custody, like had, had I let my baby stay my baby father. So after that, I had, um, after that or whatever, I had, um, I had, so when we came back to court December 1st, when we came out to court December 1st, um, I was in a courtroom or whatever, and they didn't start the trial, and Reverend was there to represent me. Social worker had put a restraining order on me. And I'm like, what? what is this or whatever? And she put a restraining order on me December 1st, December 15th. So I went down to the um, DCFS office on Water, um, at Water Ridge and like did a 12-page affidavit saying all the things that she did towards me. So then I had court January 29th. Um, I had called my baby father. I called my baby father, and I told him, like, um, you, you need to do something because this is not right. Like, you and her, you know this is wrong. So he came to court for me January 29th. So we all are in the courtroom or whatever. When he came there to tell them that he slept with her, the judge took it off calendar. She didn't even want him to get on the stand or anything. She took it off calendar. Um, he was there, and he told his lawyer that when he told his lawyer that he was sleeping with the social worker, or whatever, his lawyer went into the office and he came out and said to him and the judge and two other lawyers, I laughed about the fact that they were sleeping with each other. So then the judge said, when I went into the courtroom January 29th, she said that if my, if my baby father is not staying with me, she would give me my kids back March 11th, March 11th of, you know, 2014. So they came out to my house to make sure he didn't stay with me or everything. And in between time, I got served with a, a, a oh, this is another thing, from the restraining order in court January 29th, the judge, the, the the judge had taken the restraining order off of me because she had found out that they were sleeping with each other. So she took the restraining order off of me and she put a stay with order for her to stay away from me and me to stay away from her. So when the judge did that, the social worker went on the outside of the department and got a personal restraining order on me at Compton at at, at the Compton courthouse. So I was served with a restraining order. Um, and in February. So when I got the restraining order, I had court in children's court on. I had court in children's court on April 7th, and I went to court and I told the judge how she served me. No, on March 11th, I went into the courtroom and I told the judge how she had served me with an outside restraining order, and I told and I in court for so the outside restraining order was set for April 7th. So then I went. So after that, um, the judge said she was going to transfer the restraining order case over to to the children's court case because she, she said she don't understand why a social worker would do that, and she knew the context of the case. So. So when time went on, when April seventh, when April seventh came, I came to Children's Court because the judge had told me she was going to transfer the the restraining order case from Compton Court to Children's Court. When I got into the courthouse at the Children's Court, it was another attorney, uh, I mean another judge in there, and the new judge told me that they don't have jurisdiction over that, and I had been sitting there waiting for a long time, so I wind up going to the Compton Courthouse, and I got there late because I saw court was at Children's Court. I get to Compton Courthouse, they said they had dismissed it. They, they told me they had dismissed it because she didn't make it to court on time either. So then I wanted them having court again at children's court on April 20th. And let alone the social worker is no longer my social worker on the case, so she's no longer she's under investigation at this time. She no longer has access to my case or anything. She has no access to it. So then she leaves. So then I'm at court April 20th. And somebody comes up to me and walks up and serves me with another restraining order from the social worker at Compton Court. So now it's now scheduled for uh, for court on April 29th. So I'm sitting here wondering, like, how does she even know that? How does she even know that I even had court that day? So I knew that 
my new social worker or somebody in the building where she worked that had to tell her I had court to even be served this restraining order. So I immediately I didn't feel I didn't feel comfortable with being at that at that office anymore where the social worker was working at. So I wind up having court April 29th out at the Compton Courthouse, and the social worker was telling the, the, the social worker was telling the judge that um, I was harassing her, and um, and I guess the the, the, um, the judge said that a social worker had proved her burden or whatever, and she was going to she was going to recommend that that I get the restraining order put on me for three years. She she did a civil a civil restraining order on me, and I told the judge this was not true. She said, "But do you want to go to trial?" She said, "You want to set trial for two days later?" I told the judge, "No, I want to set it for right now." So the same day, April 29th, I'm going to court. Oh, I'm getting a little emotional. The same day I'm at court, um, same day I'm at court, April 29th, but like um, we had to both plead our case. And she was telling the judge that I was harassing her. I had been hitting her through emails and through Google Maps, and I was calling her, and I was playing on her phone. And she said that the day after I got served with the restraining order at Children's Court on April 20th, she said I came down to her job on April 21st, and she said that, uh, she said I came to her job at DCF at the DCFS office, and she said that um, she had found I was at her office, and she said that she gave the restraining order to to her supervisor. Her supervisor had served me at the DCF DCFS office. The supervisor had served me at the DCFS office with the restraining order again. And after she spoke, I immediately told the judge, I, you know, thank God I have you know comprehension. Um, I told the judge, I said, um, I said, first of all, Your Honor. It's all a lie. I say, Your Honor, uh, children's court have their own restraining orders. I, I told them children's court are, have their own restraining orders, and I said they would not have served me with an outside restraining order because they don't acknowledge outside restraining orders. They have their own restraining orders. So her supervisor wouldn't have did that. And the judge was like, you know what, Miss, Miss I mean, Sarisha, you, you are right. She was like, you know what, Miss Shields, do you have any other proof? And she said, no. She said, you know, I'm not going to recommend this restraint. She's like, no, she's been harassing me. She's been doing this. She said, well, when she calls you, let her get recorded on here, whatever, whatever. And after all that, um, I'm still going to court. I, I'm still going to court for my kids, and then I'm going to court, and the judge still hasn't recommended that my kids come back home to me. And to this day, I'm still fighting to get my kids back, and I still haven't got them back yet with all the things that they know that's happening. Oh, then internal affairs, they were they've been doing their investigation. And um they wind up concluding I guess January they 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 concluded that, you know, she was guilty of everything that I said and they did not fire her, they demoted her. And when is your next court date? Um, my next court date is in is May. My next court date is May, um I think May twenty first. May 21st in Children's Court. Okay. So after this uh, telephone call, what I want you to do is I want you to call my office. I want to, I want you to make an appointment to uh, speak to me on Monday. Would you do that for me? Okay. Yes. All right. Thank you for calling in today. That's an incredible story. Thank you so much. Just when you think you've heard it all, that, that's uh, quite a story. Social worker sleeping with one of the parents, and apparently um, making false accusations or reporting false things to the juvenile court at the same time about about the mother. Hmm. Going to have to investigate that one. I'm going to take one more call. We have a few minutes left. Um, the telephone number is 818 ending in 13. 
Hello, you're on with attorney Vincent Davis. Hello. Hello, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm a little bit confused because I was served with a restraining order at Children's Court last week, but I didn't receive any paperwork. It was just a verbal restraining order. My so there's no such are- thing as a, there's there's no such thing as a verbal restraining order. It has to be in writing. Okay, okay. So then, I don't understand why I had to go to court on Friday last week just to be informed okay. that I have a new order. Okay, when was the last court hearing you went to and when is the next court hearing? Um, the actual court hearing is May 9th, but at the moment, my children are temporarily living with their fathers. They have been removed from foster care homes and group homes, and they're placed in the temporary custody with their father. Okay. Um, um, is, it, is it your goal to, to get the children back? Yes. I have been working on that, and every time I do the conjoined family therapy, we get to about 15 weeks to therapy, and my children have been relocated. So now I'm on another waiting list for conjoined family therapy. And every time I go to court, I'm not able to complete the therapy because I have monitor therapy, monitor sessions with my children. So I need to rely on someone to take the children to the therapy sessions. And that we did have therapy. We were having therapy at McKinley's Children's Center. And mm-hmm. suddenly the worker decided to move the children with their father. So that interrupted our therapy sessions. Prior to that, the therapy sessions were also interrupted due to the relocation of my son being placed in Rialto. We were having therapy sessions at Fuller Theological Center. Those were interrupted. Prior to that, we had therapy sessions over at Pasadena. I'm sorry. Yes, Pasadena Mental Health. And those were also interrupted. So I, I'm having a very difficult time completing the, the conjoined family therapy with all these interruptions. My son has been placed in seven different foster care placements. And now he's with their father. So to a certain extent, I feel more comfortable with children being at home with their dad with someone who them versus having them hospitalized or medicated um, or placed in isolation in foster care. So to a certain extent, I'm more comfortable with the children being at home with their father. But I have been fighting for two years, nine months already, to get custody of my children. So it's an ongoing cycle. of We start the therapy, but it gets interrupted. We do at least 16 therapy sessions at each location. Uh, actually, at Fuller, we did 29 sessions. But they're all interrupted, and the social worker's recommendation is always, no, mother needs more therapy. No, the children and the, the mother's not complying with the therapy. I'm a month and a half away from court. 
And her recommendation is not to return the children to me because we're not, I'm not complying with therapy. We just stopped going to therapy March 7th. Well, let me ask you something. <clears throat> Have you ever had a trial in the juvenile court? No. Okay, do you have a private or public attorney? Court appointed. Okay, so I would recommend you meeting with your attorney to talk to him or her about the alternatives you have when you get the social worker's recommendation that you don't agree with. Like I was telling an earlier caller, whenever the social worker writes a report, if you don't agree with it, you have the right to have a trial. That means... You have the right to call witnesses, to cross-examine witnesses, to present uh, documentary evidence, you know, to present your own witnesses to show what the social worker is saying is either false or even if it's saying, even if what she's saying is true, you should still get your children back. From what you've told me, you've done an awful lot of counseling and that should be worth something. You know, maybe you can bring your counselors to court to testify. Maybe you can put on the social worker on the stand and have your attorney cross-examine that social worker to show what she's saying is not necessarily correct. I finished a couple weeks ago a trial in San Diego where um, I got the impression before the trial nobody wanted me to do this trial because... Um, the social worker's report was so thorough and it made, you know, allegations against my client. But when I finished cross-examining the social worker on her report and showing the judge where the inconsistencies were, where somehow they were just flat-out lies, um, the judge ruled in my client's favor and gave my client the children back. So you got to, no matter what the social worker's report says, sometimes you have to take that social worker to trial and put that social worker on the witness stand and cross-examine her. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. How do I process that? Well, the first thing you do is you send your your attorney an email and say, hey, we got to meet, you know. And if you're, do you have a case in Los Angeles County? So you you might want to tell the, the court-appointed attorney, look, I'll meet you for lunch. I'll come up to the courthouse, and we can meet. There's a cafeteria downstairs, you know, in the building, and you can meet with them for maybe a half hour to an hour to talk about your case because it's important. You want to get your children back. So you, yeah. you want to discuss with your attorney the alternatives that you have. You want to discuss your, with your attorney the legal strategies that you have. You want to discuss with your attorney. You want to tell the attorney everything that you've been doing. Just because you've been doing counseling and it stops for some reason, like the kids got sent to the father, that doesn't mean you're wiped out. You know, You get credit for all of that counseling. Okay, so okay. You, you should take you should take that credit, you should use it in the court, and you should fight for your children to come back to you. And and the most important way to do that is to, you know, talk to your attorney, make sure that he or she is on board, make sure he or she is you know kind of paying paying attention to your 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 case. You know, one of the problems with um, court-appointed attorneys, most of the court-appointed attorneys that I meet are very, very good attorneys. The problem is that they have too many cases. 
And, you know, there's only so much a person can do when you have a, a large caseload. So, you know, talk to your attorney. And, you know, my grandmother used to tell me the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So you got to be that squeaky wheel. You got to call your attorney. You got to send him emails and say, hey, you got to talk to me. You, you have to meet with me. And that's mm-hmm. part of the responsibility. And if you make it easy for them by saying, hey, I'll come up to court. I'll meet you during the lunch break, you know, for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour. You know, and that way um, you can make it easy for your court-appointed attorney to meet with you. When you go, though, I would suggest you have a list of everything that you've done. You have the names, addresses, and telephone numbers of all your service providers. You have progress reports, and you have certificates that you've received for completing parenting or counseling, and that you present those to your attorney. Because sometimes when the attorney sees that, they think, oh, my God, she's done a bunch of stuff. I can do something for her at at the next court hearing. I can do something for her, you know, if we have a trial, you know. Possibly she can get unmonitored visits. Possibly she can get weekend overnights. Possibly she could get the children back. It sounds like you've done Another a lot of stuff. Another thing that I'm Nick. having trouble with is getting a progress letter. Most of the letters that I get from Fuller or McKinley's, even at Pasadena and Children's Institute, they're all letters of attendance. They don't give me anything that shows progress. And the reason is that that this is the excuse that they give me after speaking to the social worker. They tell me that they cannot give me a progress letter. They they're limited to what they're they can write on the letter because of the fact that they have to hold confidentiality. So they're only allowed to give me the dates of attendance. That really doesn't do any good. One my attorney was saying that he doesn't need an attendance letter. He needs an actual progress letter. Okay, so and this is what you do. That's what I've been this, having gonna, a very difficult time conveying that to okay, the therapist. And hold on, hold on. to a certain extent, I hold do on. feel that, ma'am, um, the lady at McKinley's was doing her best to try to help us, my family, but she was restricted. For some reason, I feel that she was threatened. Okay, I, ma'am, I just, I'm going inter- to have right to interrupt. The way you. that she was communicating at the end. Because our conversations were very um, clear. So, ma'am, what I'm going to tell you is when a, when a therapist doesn't give you a progress letter, the only thing that you can do is you can subpoena them to come into court and to testify about what you have done and the progress you have made. Thank you very much for your call. <clears throat> We only have a few moments left in the show, and I want to go over um, my my usual outro about what uh, I hope all, everyone is doing in, in their case. Number one, if you have a juvenile dependency court case, you must get experienced legal help. Number two, you must get information. Try to educate yourself. You can try to educate yourself by talking to your attorney, be it a private attorney or a court-appointed attorney. You can also educate yourself by going on Google. Google knows all. There's something online that's at uh, our website, Talk Radio Experts, called the Dog Book. It's an outline of the basic strategies and laws can be used in defending a case in the juvenile dependency court. Um, You can talk to your attorney, as I said. 
You should also meet with your attorney, strategize before the court hearing, decide what witnesses are going to be subpoenaed for any trials that you have coming up. Finally, you have to vote. You have to register to vote. In our country, uh, the power is in the vote. So let's vote in judges and legislature, legislators that support keeping families together. Okay, I have to sign off. We'll see you next week on the radio.